Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Joel Rosenberg is a fairly well-known author. He has written such novels as The Copper Scroll and The Last Jihad. He was catapulted to fame when people realized suddenly how very close to reality his first novel was to an event that had just changed the world. It was immediately after 9-11. Americans and the world were still reaming, still coming to grips with what had happened. His first novel was held by the publishers as they tried to decide whether they should release it or not because 9-11 had just happened. It was as if he had had advanced knowledge of what was going to happen. Asked about this over and over again by the media and other government agencies, his response was that his novel had been written based entirely on scripture and in particular the prophecies having to do with the last days of man. It just so happened that his book that dealt with the number of events that are expected to take place during this period we call the end of times featured several things that came eerily close to what had actually taken place in New York and at the Twin Towers. Obviously, Mr. Rosenberg is a Christian. His faith in the scriptures and in God comes through over and over again. He has a special relationship with Israel and has worked for Benjamin Netanyahu, the present Israeli Prime Minister. I read today a letter that he sent out which described three or four recent actions around the world where Al-Qaeda operatives or wannabes had been thwarted and prevented from carrying out their dastardly deeds against Americans and their possessions. One of these groups was based in the USA itself. It seems that it is only a matter of time before one of these fanatical groups actually succeeds in another attack. What is the one fundamental assurance that we have? I'll discuss that with us after our first song call. Kiss the 
Remember the psalm that asks something like this? When our foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, King David was facing many evils and strong opposition, much the same as we are in our modern times. He could have been thoroughly distraught, dejected, and absolutely discouraged. He could have, but he wasn't. What was the source of his secret strength? The same as ours in 2009, of course. Another of David's poems comes to mind as a response to these questions I've posed. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore. That kind of covers the future, doesn't it? Our obligation is to seek his face and humbly bow before him, acknowledging him as our Lord and our Savior. What can we want beside? We are covered with his everlasting wings, and we have peace as his children. Al-Qaeda cannot penetrate or remove that assurance. Rejoice with me today. Our God is a mighty God, and he will overcome all our enemies. Hallelujah. And now, with this message for today, Here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning and greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, not only are we to be like him in character as depicted in the Beatitudes, but we must also think like him as elucidated in the remaining sections of Matthew 5 through 7. And because our actions reflect our thinking, to do what a true disciple is supposed to do, we must think the way Christ thinks also. We've already seen what Jesus thinks about anger, murder, adultery, divorce, and remarriage. Today, we will see what he thinks about the taking of oaths, O-A-T-H-S, and how this action reflects upon the integrity of what we say. The passage for exposition today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Please turn with me in your Bible and follow along as I read. I'm reading from the NIV, New International Version today. Quote, Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. End of quote. I want you to notice again now in this passage, Jesus is focusing on the specific teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. Their exact words of this command are not found in the Old Testament. That's Jesus' point. The command in Exodus 20, verse 7 reads, and I quote, You shall not misuse or take in vain the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses or takes his name in vain. End of quote. You see, the scribes and Pharisees interpreted this to mean, do not break your oath but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. That's how they interpret this command. In other words, they condensed the Mosaic law down to one combined legalistic statement. Don't perjure yourself before man or God. Perjury to them, you see, was to swear to a lie in the name of God. 
It was not wrong to make an oath for anything or at any time. Once you didn't commit perjury by using the name of God along with the oath. However, an oath was only binding if it was made in the name of God. The result of this kind of twisting of the law was that they encouraged spurious oaths without any kind of binding authority. Oaths, therefore, became both evasive in that only the letter of the law was emphasized and also frivolous because unbinding oaths became commonplace and without any real significance. A person's word was not necessarily a binding thing anymore. It was the oath that made it such. The scribes and Pharisees, therefore, developed a kind of loophole theology that caused them to appear to be keeping the law when in fact they were not. They encouraged the idea of do what you say you would do, but say it in such a way that doing it will not result in what the others thought you said. In other words, it avoided doing the truth while appearing as though you did. They abused the truth and secularized the name of God to avoid obeying the true intent of the law. The intent of the law concerning the taking of oaths was to prevent lying both to God and to man and to promote honesty in speech and deed. It was meant to guarantee one's integrity. It was designed to prevent hypocrisy and to make one accountable for what he or she said and to emphasize the seriousness and solemnity of certain matters. And when the name of God was used, to give him supreme reverence and respect in day-to-day -day life. One was never to say that God said something when he did not say it, or to endorse it in his name, or to endorse what he did not endorse. To the Orthodox Jew, under God, the making of a vow, therefore, was a very serious undertaking. It was a solemn affirmation made with an appeal to God to judge a person if what he or she said was not true or not fulfilled as promised. In other words, an oath invited and invoked God's punishment upon the person who failed to keep their vow if they made an untrue declaration. Now, in the Jewish world back then, there were two kinds of oath. An assertive oath, A-S-S-E-R-T-I-V-E, an assertive oath which affirmed or denied having done something. This was man-directed and related to one's honesty and integrity. But there was also a promissory oath. This promised or committed the person to doing something. This was Godward and related to one's faithfulness and sincerity. Now, these oaths prohibited irreverent use of God's name, such as swearing. They also prohibited the frivolous use of oaths, such as saying, so God help me, to make a valid or to validate a point. They also prohibited the making of superficial commitments and vows to God, as, for instance, in the matter of discipleship, where Jesus specifically says, count the cost first. Don't put your hand to the plow, then after the plowing gets rough, to put the plow down again. God doesn't like that. God doesn't appreciate or honors that kind of thoughtless vow or commitment. 
That's the point here. And in the context in which Jesus has just finished talking about divorce and remarriage, the same applies to the making of marriage vows. God takes them seriously. So should the man and women who make them. If the marriage vows are violated, the vow and covenant breakers will have to answer to God, even if sanctioned by man. The scribes and Pharisees, however, encourage frivolous and bogus vow-making and oath-taking. Jesus corrects their teaching in this passage and shows his true disciples that their standard must be and is much higher than that of the scribes and Pharisees. He bluntly condemns their dishonesty. Listen to his words in Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by an oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by anything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. In other words, Jesus is saying, and listen to him now, but I tell you, do not swear at all. Jesus is prohibiting all frivolous, evasive type taking of oaths. He is saying that God is always a witness to our words and our activities. Therefore, we are to live in such a way that no one will have to ask you to back up what you say with an oath. Jesus is saying, live with the awareness and realization that God is an active and present witness to everything you do or say at all times. Jesus is demanding of his true disciples a transparency of life and lip, words and works, both before man and before God. He is calling for a standard and quality of life way above that lived or experienced by the scribes and Pharisees and the mere religious, legalistic individual whom he calls hypocrites. You see, my friends, whenever we are forced to back up our words in everyday life by an oath, we demonstrate the reality of the inherent evil within man, that life, for the most part, is dominated by the evil one, and that evil and unfaithfulness are the expected norm of a person's life. For a true believer, however, a true disciple, such a lifestyle is not to be tolerated. A believer is a new creation in Christ, and the, old, and the old lifestyle with his evil inclinations and manifestations have been actively, deliberately, and forever put away. A true disciple is to manifest a life of truthfulness, integrity, and faithfulness. He says what he means, and he means what he says, and he does not have to take an oath to back it up. Does this mean then that a Christian is not to take an oath in court to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? No, it does not mean this. This is a special, unique situation, having to do with one's public life and civil responsibility as a citizen. This is not a frivolous undertaking, but a very serious one. Nor is Jesus prohibiting the taking of any kinds of vows or oaths whatsoever. In fact, Scripture reveals that even God himself has taken an oath, and he did it by using his own name, of course. 
Hebrews 6.13 gives us this. So Jesus is prohibiting the, talk, the taking of frivolous, evasive, thoughtless oaths and vows to back up one's word. This principle may be applied practically on several levels. For instance, the true disciple is not to practice loophole theology to evade doing the will of God. You know, like some people say, well, the scripture says maybe we should come to worship on the first day of the week or the Lord's day in the morning. But since it doesn't say anything about the evening, then I don't have to come to church in the weekday or in the evening and so on. That's loophole theology. Nor must we compartmentalize God by dividing our life into the sacred and the secular and saying that God has only to do with the sacred, not the secular. In other words, I could live any way I want to live in my work, in my home. But when I come to church, it's different. That's loophole theology. It's putting God only in one section of your life. Jesus is saying here, no, no, no. We are to live a life of integrity for him no matter where it is, in the home, in our business, in the school, as well as in the church life. The true disciple must denounce and avoid all hypocrisy and superficiality in living. We must live in such a way so as to make sure that our life backs up our words. And we must be sure that our vows and commitments to both God and man are genuine and that we make them with the full intention of carrying them out. That is what Jesus is teaching in this passage concerning the taking of oaths as it relates to his true disciples. Our righteousness must surpass that of the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. They go through the actions, but their hearts are far from God. Jesus is saying, no, and for the true disciple, our word should be our bond. Our life should be in life and integrity, and we need no oath-taking to demonstrate that we are speaking the truth. My friends, that's what Jesus thinks of the making of vows and the taking of oaths. As a true disciple, what do you think? In fact, are you a true disciple? As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon.
us the great commander's promise. He will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the in a moment Jesus Christ could come